Hello and welcome to the IBMS Biopod. I'm Rob. And this is James. These biopods will immerse you in the profession's disparate disciplines. From cytopathology and haematology to virology and microbiology. Each month we'll bring you exclusive interviews, behind the scenes chit chats and maybe even a drop of science. So put down your pets, move away from the microscope and get ready for a biopod deep dive. Just a quick note before the podcast starts. This episode was recorded in a pub before the COVID-19 lockdown. So apologies for any background noise and any statements may seem out of touch in the current climate. Okay, so we're here today with Dr. Martin Kashera. His Twitter profile describes him as science presenter, science theatre performer, comedian, writer, researcher, associate professor for engagement in STEM and microbiologist supreme. So thanks for joining us today, Martin. Hello. And I will hand you over to Rob, who will um, begin the interview. Fantastic. So tell, tell us a bit about yourself and your background and, and how you got into the job and positions, the many positions that you're in. Okay, so, uh, so I started out life working for the Ministry of Defence as a, as a defence scientist. Um, so I was a civil servant for a long time. And as part of that job, not only did I do some work to help keep the country safe, um, I also started to um, have some responsibilities for educating senior army officers and senior officers in the Navy and so on, the RAF, and started a bit of a sort of role in education. And, um, and because of that, I, I decided that I would, um, I would move into education full time. So I moved in 2008 to, um, to the University of Wolverhampton, where I started teaching biomedical science because I worked in a biomedical science department as a microbiologist. And um, so started uh, becoming an educator. And um, after a few years there, um, hung up my white coat, if you like, didn't do so much science research and took my research into the classroom, started um, um, doing experimentally on people to find out how they learn better, how we can use technology to engage people better. But also started um, a bit of a career in engagement, in public engagement, in staff engagement, in all sorts of things. And um, started... Um, I guess uh, a bit of a, um, a sort of science stage performance sort of act, if you like. And that went through many different incarnations. And, um, and our aim was to engage the community, um, not just schools, all sorts of people in science, technology, engineering and maths, but importantly in biomedical science as well. And, um, and that started in about 2011. And that's just grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. And, um, and now uh, I travel all over the country, um, going to schools, community centres, um, all over the place really. Um, hopefully we go international soon because we might, we might even end up in South America soon, which would be quite nice on a bit of a mini tour. And, um, but uh, yeah, we, 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 we were all part of uh, myself and uh, my, my small department at the University of Wolverhampton. Uh, we're, we're all part of something called the STEM response team. And um, so we go out and we encourage people to be to be interested in, in STEM, really. Um, but on the side of that, my, my research partly now is to, to use my students to engage the public in biomedical science. So I get them to do public engagement work, design hands-on things to try and to try and sort of raise the profile of biomedical science. Because to be honest, nobody knows what it is. Yeah. And um, going back to that start, it's, it seems like a very different environment to be working in defence to going around schools, community centres, promoting STEM. How did that transition work? Was, was that a tough one? Was it a very buttoned up, a- 
atmosphere working in defense? I think um, it wasn't because when you're a scientist, no matter where you work, it's all about communication. It's all about telling other people about your results, telling other people about the science that you're doing. So actually going from a laboratory-based discipline and then moving into a sort of a more communication-based discipline like I am now as an educator and a, and a public engagement practitioner, actually it isn't that different because it's just all about talking. You know, you might use lab kit less, right? But actually to be able to generate understanding in the results you're making or your subject matter is, is, is exactly the same. So, so, it, so it wasn't that much of a transition because actually the institution that I worked in it was almost like a university. There was very much a research focus, like just like there is at a university. But also we had other responsibilities to keep the UK public safe, of course, and, uh, and, and the armed forces, you know. So actually, it wasn't, wasn't all that different. Did you have a love of science as a kid? I did, yeah. So I could, In particular, biomedicals. It, 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 was, it was any science, really. I can, I can remember being at my grandma's house with my first chemistry set, like giving chemistry lessons, right, on, on these experiments I was doing. So ever since I was little, I wanted to be a scientist and, um, and, and any kind of scientist, you know, I wanted to be a chemist, molecular biologist, chemical engineer, marine biologist, and I eventually settled on, on microbiology. Yeah, yeah. Uh, were you quite strict with that science set? Because I think I had a similar science set and what I did was put the plug in the sink and empty all the different bottles into the sink, add some water, yeah. and wait for some magic to happen, and yeah. nothing happened. No. What, what were your early experiments? Pretty like? much, pretty much. I can remember sitting in my bedroom, boiling up, God knows what it was, some sort of, some sort of, I was trying to make a dye to dye wool, right? So I had, it was this thing, this thing I've made that was purple that turned orange, right? And I have no idea what it was, but you know, that, that sort of generic science moment happened for me when it exploded and uh, was all stuck to my ceiling and I can remember having purple and orange spots all over my face and arms for must be six weeks, you know. So, uh, so that, that sort of experimental part of science is very close to my heart. Uh, did you get in a lot of trouble or, or were, you, were your oh, parents thinking, you know, oh look, he's experimenting, this is exciting. This my is parents weren't always very understanding of my science needs, if you like. And um, so I often did make a mess. So I was one for the Georgie's Marvellous Medicine from under the sink. And uh, like we all were, what happens when I do this? And, um, but um, no, I didn't really, uh, didn't really cause too much problem, you know, apart from the stains on the carpet from the chemistry set, of course. Yeah. And uh, you, you mentioned that you thought no one knows who biomedical scientists are. Yeah. Why is that the case? I mean, if you look across the medical professions, people know what midwives do, people know what doctors yeah. do, people know what GPs do. Yeah. Is this just because scientists work behind a closed door in a lab, or is there something else going on? I think what it is, is it isn't just the fact that they're, they work in silos, because they are, of course, working behind the scenes in hospitals. And, and you know, and the fact that, like, the fact that between 70 and 80% of the decisions that doctors make are based on their results should make them more obvious to, to people but the, see, the thing is because they are behind the scenes and they don't have a lot of patient contact people don't have any people don't have any context with what they are they know that's something to do and this is a piece of research that we're doing at the moment we know that people are we know that people think that biomedical science is something to do with biology and, and and that's pretty much it and they might work in a hospital but they don't know what they do, they don't know anything about the disciplines of biomedical science, not really, they might have a little idea. But I think it is because, actually, they don't see patients, they only see tiny pieces of patients. So they don't, like, because don't, they don't have that contact, people can't say, oh, you know, 
people are intrinsically involved with midwives and nurses and doctors and all that sort of, they're the front line. But because we're, you know, because biomedical science is behind the scenes, I don't think, I don't think people will know what they are because of that, because they don't get to talk to patients. Yeah. And um, do, do you think as a profession, biomedical science suffers because of that lack of public acknowledgement? I don't think it, I don't think it suffers, but I think it has, um, I, th I think people, people have, um, Difficult expectations, particularly of the sort of the healthcare process that goes on behind, say, analysing a sample. You know, people are always like, well, where's my results? You know, but people don't have any appreciation of the stages that a test has to go through and all that sort of stuff. I think with better awareness of actually, you know, what goes on into sort of diagnosing, say, an infectious disease, you know, I think they would have, they would be more, more forgiving, actually. And um, so I don't, I don't think it suffers. But, uh, you know, because there's lots of big, big courses and big accredited courses and unaccredited courses in biomedical science all over the all over the country. So the, the people in higher education know what it is, but when when you go out into the public, people struggle to to link the science in hospitals with yeah. an actual scientist. You know, I think it's yeah. So I don't think it suffers, not really. But it could do with. You know, do with a bit more. I'm, I'm doing this, and I know we're being recorded. More prominent. You know, uh, he's gesturing prominent. upwards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what made you first interested in this course? Was there a moment where you thought, "Ah, oh, we need to increase engagement and public perception," or was it just something that kind of slowly gathered over a number of years? Yeah, or? and I think um, I think it, I always had a bit of an inkling that people didn't really know um, what biomedical science did, but what biomedical scientists did rather. But the it was about three or four years ago now, I, I decided that I would become a public engagement practitioner for, for real and, um, and put all of my energy into, into, into doing that sort of thing, you know, developing a career on stage and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and actually, once I started using my students to engage in, in, in promoting biomedical science, we started to get results in from, say, questionnaires and things like that when we're actually asking the, the normal people out there. You know, what, what do you think? What, what do you think biomedical scientists are? What do you think biomedical scientists, you know, do and all that sort of thing? You know, that was quite an eye-opener because I, I, I didn't know what I might get, you know. And um, so it was about then, really, when, we, when I started on, on the path of, of I really wanted to, to push the, the profession um, because, because people need to know. Yeah, you know, they, they really do. Yeah. And um, did your friends and relatives know what you were doing when you when you took your first job in biomedical science, or were um, they kind of like, ah, oh, what on earth that must? Well, my, um, my 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 they didn't. They knew I worked in a laboratory, but of course, working in the in the, in the role that I used to work, yeah, it, I wasn't I wasn't able to tell people really what I was doing um, because it was all a lot of the work I did was covered under the Official Secrets Act, and um, so that was that was you know it was a bit difficult. Um, you know, they knew some archaeologists, they knew I worked in Salisbury, and, um, and, th and then that was pretty much it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, my, you know, my, my family have been, you know, understanding about my, 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 my sort of career and, and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. And uh, from, from your uh, little biography, which James read out at the start, yes. science presenter, theatre performer, comedian, writer, uh, how do you balance all those things, and which one do you see yourself as? If you had to pick one, you're like, this is my, I am this. Yeah, it's an interesting question that is, and um, and it and, it's, and it changes, it's changing over over time. So I'm a bit of everything really. So if I, if you're a, if you're a good educator in higher education, you are a theatre performer because you're putting on a show. It's not all about the content. 
you know, it's it's about engagement, about how 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 people how people perceive you, how they perceive what you're saying, and all that sort of thing. And um, so, I mean, of everything, you know, I use comedy in my delivery. You know, I like to show disgusting pictures and make a laugh of it all that sort of thing. You know, because I know people will remember what I'm saying. You know, that's my my hook into them is to get that information across. Um, more and more and more now, I am. Um, uh, this this theatre performer and things like that, and, a, and a, I occasionally get comedy gigs and, and things like that now as well. We we run a, a science engagement show called Science Republic, which is where, where we get academics and we throw them into the lion pit of the public, <laughs> and I compare and do stand up and things like that. That's been running for about five or six years now, and um, and, and 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 so yeah, it depends. It depends what I'm doing. I, I you know it's my my job necessarily allows me to wear lots of hats and I'm always swapping you know at the heart of what I do I'm an educator I guess and it just depends how I'm doing that education whether I'm doing it through theatre performance or whether I'm doing it through comedy it's all it's all education really and um, is it hard to engage people uh, maybe specifically young people when I was a young person which I'm not anymore sadly <laughs> if people came into my school and they're like this guy's gonna do a talk on science yeah I didn't like science when I was young, I would just probably switch off. Yeah, um, is, is it a struggle to get people engaged or is it not too bad? It depends. So, sorry. So it does, it does really depend. If you're talking about like the key stage two type people, okay, like up to the, up to the age of sort of 11 or something like that, very easy. Very, very easy. They're very keen, very interested. They're still open to the wonder of the world of science. And uh, they really want to get their hands into everything, and they're fantastic. Once you start getting into sort of year nine and ten and, and stuff like that, it starts to become a bit more difficult because there's a, an air of bravado that, that, that people who are that age tend to have. And, um, and so they, they, they don't appear interested, but they are. And it's just the way of engaging them has to change. So I can, I can, I can do all sorts of things for the, for the, younger, the younger people that I speak to, but the older people... What I have to do is sort of amp things up a bit. So I have to use more, more things like explosions. I have to show loads of disgusting pictures. When I'm talking about how the microbiology of the human gut works, we've got um, a giant foam human bottom that really poos itself. Um, you know, all of these sorts of things. <clears throat> Just have to use more, more in-your-face techniques, you know, and really hammer it home a little bit. And then eventually you break through that shell of, yeah. of I'm too cool for school, you know. And that everybody likes a bit of science. It's just, just how it's put across. If I was a dusty academic, which I am not, I'm pleased to say, um, then of course it wouldn't come across, wouldn't come across well. Yeah. You know, but because I, because I look a bit different and all that sort of stuff, it's, it tends to land quite well, even with, the, even with the slightly older people that we speak to. So do you get a lot of satisfaction at seeing them engage, especially the younger yeah, engaging with you, yeah. and then buying into what you're absolutely. I mean, like the the younger ones, are really good because there's a lot of research to say now that people have chosen what what they're going to do by the age of like eight now. So they're really on a path already. You know, an eight year old girl told me the other day that she was going to go to Cambridge to study medicine. You know, people are really informed. You know, the younger the younger learners are very very keen on what they're going to do, and um, but it is really nice to get that that wow moment, you know, really like, you know, sudden sort of light bulb goes on or, or, or you, you finish with a big finale and, and you get like a, like the amazed looks on people's faces. It's really lovely, particularly in the older, 
people um, because they're much harder to get to, you know. And um, and when when they go away laughing or they, you know, they've had a good time, that's uh, that's fun. that's absolutely fantastic because you know you've done your job then. So you could argue you're shaping futures potentially. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. You know, I have people come up to me and say they're studying science because or biomedical science because of the work that I've done. And um, so that is that is lovely, and I, I, and I hope. You know, even if I change the future of one person I speak to, my job's done. It's enough. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, it sounds like you use laughter as a tool quite a bit to oh, engage yeah. people. Yeah. T- tell us a bit about that and how that works. And, and if you've got specific things where you think, I'm losing this audience, I need yeah. to bring out the big bum. Uh, yeah, the big like, bum. Uh, <laughs> big poon bum. Yeah, it's good Seamus the anus, by the way. <laughs> and um, so, um, yeah, so what I do is uh, I call it um, the comedy of disgust. Okay, and um, I use it a lot in my in my delivery and indeed in my stand-up and things like that, uh, where I'm just absolutely causing revulsion in a person, right? There's a, a famous neuroscience uh, researcher called ITL Draw, and he said that um, you can listen to, uh, you can listen to a thing, right, listen to a thing a hundred times and never remember, but if you have strong feelings even once, you'll remember it forever. Yeah. Right, so I use all kinds of stuff. You know, I've got um, if, if if I am losing my audience and they start starting to waver, we've got a really special demonstration that we use, um, and um, which allows me to talk about transmission of viruses. Okay, like norovirus that makes you have dysentery and vomiting and all that. Um, but once upon a time, I caught it through my eyeballs and um, and and my mouth all at the same time when one of my children vomited in my face. Right, so so we've actually got a demonstration to recreate that situation where something actually vomits in my face, and um, it's so spectacular that's just it's it's disgusting, it's ridiculous, it's memorable, yeah. it's noisy, it's interactive because somebody can come and press a big comedy red button to actually vomit in my own face. You know, I know it's going a bit over the top, like, but people really remember, you know, what we're doing. They really remember the message we're trying to get across. You know, and it, there's a lot to be said for shocking an audience, right? Even slightly younger people can take, you know, say, a really nice picture of somebody's gangrenous toes falling off, for instance. You know, and they're, they're going to remember, you know, these hooks you have to use to get inside people's minds. You know, emotion, laughter, all of those sorts of things, like disgust, they're really good. So if I am sort of losing an audience, which fortunately is quite rare, then... I can always, I can always put some content in. Got a visual to drag them back in. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And which came first? Were, were you someone who was interested in comedy who got into biomedical science, or were you a biomedical scientist who thought I can use comedy? Yeah. And I like that. I mean, I'm not a practicing biomedical scientist, but the um, I started out life as this as this science guy, and um, and the comedy has sort of developed over the years. I mean, that's come that's come a bit later until. Until now, I'm doing um, very occasionally like proper proper comedy gigs at festivals and things like that, and um, so that's that's just evolved over over the time. That's come out of my delivery as a as a lecturer, actually. You know, n- knowing what I can and can't get away with, and what I can and can't get laughs out of, has sort of developed that that sort of yeah. repertoire, if you like. Yeah. Uh, how different is your approach when you're talking to members of the public and people who are, so, say, your students who have a very specific interest in the subject anyway, but you don't have to move them into the subject? How different is your approach between the two? I think, um, I think, 
in some ways it's the same in some ways it's different with my students I know I know exactly roughly what knowledge they should have because I'm aware of the curricula of the courses they've done so I know what they've done in their BTEC I know what they've done in their A-levels so I kind of know where to jump off from you know I know what to build my conversation around but when it comes to um, talking to say you know just somebody in the street about biomedical science or an aspect of science in itself then I, I, I'm not quite sure so what I have to do is I have to find out a little bit first uh, maybe, or maybe start a little bit low you know sort of just engaging in conversation about a particular topic so I can start to start to try and find out what they do what they do know and what they don't know and um, it's just more conversational you know I, I can I can engage like somebody in the street you know in, in, in all sorts of things but one of the things I do do is start with a thing so the best way to engage just somebody in the public is to start with a very simple demonstration just something anything will do right it, it doesn't have to be about biomedical science it just be a sciencey thing you know there's loads of like you call it like street science busking little tricks you can do they're a bit like sort of street magic almost right just to hook them in Right, because once you once you've amazed them once, then you can carry on talking, talking to them, you know. And um, and that's how I tend to do that more with the public, you know, show them something that blows their mind first, and yeah. then go, wow, how about this other science, yeah. you know? And that that works very well. Uh, have you got any examples? I have. So there's a really good one. Right, it's not about biomedical science, but it is about resonance and physics and all that sort of stuff. Right. So if you get a slinky, an old metal slinky. Right, and uh, you tie two pieces of string to it with two loops on the end and stick the loops in your, on your fingers and stick them in your ears. Get somebody to drop the slinky, it makes noises like space guns going off. Right, now, <laughs> how did you discover yeah, I was this? just gonna say exactly <laughs> the same thing. Long, long, yeah. Weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of these, a lot of these sort of uh, physics tricks, like these, these street science tricks, have been around for a very long time. Um, and um, you know, it allows you to sort of talk about. Like biology, because I can talk about how the ears work. I can talk about the anatomy of the brain. I can talk about what your perceptions are like, and you know, and there's loads, and there's absolutely loads of them all over the internet um, to uh, to do. One of our favourite ones is called the soft hands illusion, and it's chicken wire in a frame. And if you if you rub your hands on it, right, the chicken wire disappears, and it just feels like a piece of glass, right? And it's incredibly confusing for people, right, because they don't know what they're touching, and um, they can see it's chicken wire, but it doesn't feel like it. Right, and it's because your brain's confused over what you're feeling. But that, that in itself is like a psychoneurobiology demonstration that allows you to talk about all sorts of things. And there's, there is, there's, 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 there's tons and tons of them. You know. And uh, if, if people are listening to this and thinking, I'd like to get more involved in STEM engagement and inspiring people yeah. into science, yeah. what, what, should, what should they do? What should be their first step into that process? Right. So a really good, a really good way of getting involved like that I know the, the Institute of Biomedical Science, they, 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 do, they do support people to do public engagement and things like that. But if you want to do more in schools, um, it's a really good idea to become a STEM ambassador. So you can go on the STEM learning website, register as a STEM ambassador, and, um, and then you, uh, you can uh, get your, your DBS certificate and things like that. And then you're able to go into schools then. Um, so you can go in in your own right as an expert to careers fairs and all sorts of things uh, to promote your your particular discipline. You know, maybe maybe the, the institute itself, all sorts of things. Um, and um, and you've got all the backing of, of that. You know, but plus you get loads of resources and things like that that you can use in demonstrations. 
and all sorts of things. And that's that's probably where most people will probably start, you know, because then you've got a bit more legitimacy, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. And uh, we've got Biomedical Science Day coming up. Yeah. On, I believe, the 11th of June. That's right, yeah. I imagine the answer to this is yes. Is that something you would encourage people to get involved in? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think if anybody can put on an activity, whether it's out in the street, whether it's out in um, you know a local school, you know schools are always desperate to have people involved in STEM in the schools. So to get involved in anything they're doing, even to say to them, right, it's biomedical science day. Do you want to do something? Um, just your local school around the corner, maybe that your kids go to. Um, I think he, I think he's fantastic. But anything anybody can do, I think is is going to be a good thing. You know, even if it's even if it's talking to your friends in the pub about it. You know, it's got to be good. And uh, I, I saw a report earlier today that I think it was engagement in STEM education with gender, yeah. and it was saying women are kind of slightly on the up. I think it was about a three percent increase across the board, all yeah. STEM subjects. Yeah. Do you think there's a bit of an imbalance at the moment? Is that something that needs solving, or is there momentum anyway to solve it? Yeah, I think I think with engagement, I think um, I know the new the new update to something called the Aspires report has just not long come out, and their previous reports were saying um, it's some work done by a group at, um, at, at UCL. They said that actually by the age of fourteen, girls are getting turned off to science subjects, and especially boys, you know, white lower class boys and things like that, very 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 disengaged with science. And, um, you know, and there is like the attainment gap that exists with the BME community and things like that. But, you know, it, it, it is there. There is this, there is a lack of engagement in STEM. And that, that actually comes from, I think, the fact that, and I don't know if it's controversial or not, but um, there's been a big onus, particularly at primary, on just literacy and maths. In a lot of places, the STEM curriculum has been completely removed. So people haven't got any anything to push them into STEM, you know, by the time they get to high school, they're, 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 they're turned off to STEM subjects, you know, they haven't done any, you know, they can't see that it's amazing and all that sort of stuff. And, um, but I think that's changing now, you know, we're trying to put STEM back into, you know, the early years and, um, and primary curriculum. So hopefully that, that will carry on changing and engagement will carry on going up, fingers crossed. Brilliant. On that note, I'm going to pass you over to James, who is now going to do the quick fire round. Right. Okay, Martin, you ready? Go. What is your first memory of science? Okay, my first memory of science is watching uh, Maggie Philbin on Tomorrow's World. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that I relate to that. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. 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 Have you ever eaten the famous Wolverhampton delicacy faggots? I have, and also grey peas and bacon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what is your favourite bacteria or virus? Okay, so my favourite bacteria is probably something called Burkholderia pseudomaliae, and it's something that lives in the soil in Thailand and Papua New Guinea and things like that. And if it gets in your feet, if you're walking in a rice paddy, it can give you incurable septicemia and kill you to death. Lovely. <laughs> if you weren't a lecturer in biomedical science, what would you be? Um, I would probably be um, a... Um, I would probably be a tree surgeon, actually, bizarrely, because I'm also, I was also, in a past life, I was also a tree surgeon and a, and a, and a, and a, and a coppice worker, making, making chairs out of the things I found in the woods. So maybe I'd be a hippie. Uh, what is your snack and beverage of choice to get you through the day? That's quite a nice question. Um, I really like, I really like them French cakes, Madeleines, right? 
particularly the ones with chocolate on. Yeah. Like that and coffee, boom, I'm, I'm in. Done. Yeah. Who's your science hero? Okay, so my, it's a really good one, actually, and it's very difficult to choose. And um, I think my, my science hero um, would be, um, well, it's got to be, it's got to be, oh, that's a really, that's a really hard one. It's a quick fire round. I'm, sorry, I'm going, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. This is I, I, think, I, think, I think it would be somebody like Louis Pasteur. Because he started this idea that infection causes disease. Before then, nobody had a, a Scooby. You know. yeah. Anyway, that was it. What's the best thing about your job? My best thing about my job, my, my best thing about my job is watching my students graduate. That's absolutely fantastic. Good answer. What's your favourite science joke? But before you give your answer, this is just an example. What do retroviruses cause? Oh, I don't know. A Saturday night fever. <laughs> I like it. I quite like it. I quite like Why did the bacteria cross the microscope? Go on. Go get to your slide. Oh. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> right, that's your quick fire round. Thank you, Martin. Thank you so um, much. So it's now over to Rob for overrated, underrated, and correctly rated. Right. Uh, Martin, academia. Overrated, underrated, or correctly rated? Underrated. Yeah. Would you like to expand? Um, I think that some academics do a fantastic job, and I think um, now when we um, when we work in a more widening participation background, when we take people sometimes with no GCSEs and they can come out with a degree, I think the work they have to do is very hard sometimes. So I think I think they deserve a lot of credit in some cases. Uh, pork scratchings, another yeah. Wolverhampton speciality. I mm. Yes, I think uh, I, I also I think I think correctly rated. You know, <laughs> um, I think they um, I think they are nice, um, but it, it's disturbing when you get ones with hairs on. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, video learning um, underrated uh, because uh, one of the things that I do and I've researched in in the past. Is, is learning through video in all kinds of ways and when I do, uh, for instance my students have been doing a practical in the laboratory today and I've delivered, uh, I've been in London all day, but I've still delivered all the content for that practical right, via tablets in their laboratory. So they've been able to see me explaining all that whole thing to them, showing them all the techniques, all the equipment, how to do everything by just pressing a button and that is, that's got to be amazing. Yeah. Uh, dress codes. Oh, definitely overrated. I think um, if I had to go to work in a suit, that that'd be that'd be it for me. Yeah. My my uniform for work, right, is skinny jeans, trainers, and a t-shirt. Yeah, right. you don't look like a suit man. <laughs> no, if I had to wear a suit, I think it would be my end. Uh, digital microscopes. Ooh. I think I think um, I think probably. Ooh. That's a difficult one. Probably underrated, I think, because I think the idea of using digital pathology, you know, to be able to get the, 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 the sort of uh, opinions of lots of people on a problem is, is quite good. Um, and, um, you know, so if we can send something across the world for somebody to have a look at, you know, it's, quite, it's good. But then again, you've got, this, you've got this, 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 this problem that maybe is taking away some people's expertise. Who knows? It's, it's controversial. <laughs> Uh, pewter, as in the malleable metal alloy. Oh, underrated. 
very underrated because the other day I learned how to cast pewter at the Black Country Living Museum in the Black Country. And, um, and it was fabulous, and I made a spanner. Although it wasn't a very strong spanner, could be made out of pewter. Yes, what we've done is we've made it into a trophy, and the spanner of the day in the office gets the trophy. Yeah. Uh, Self experimentation. Oh, oh, I'd have to say, I'd have to say underrated again, because you know some of the some of the greatest discoveries have been, although a lot of a lot of scientists in the past experimented on on just basically poor children, you know some of the some of the most fantastic discoveries like the fact that stomach ulcers are caused by a bacteria was 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 discovered by a guy drinking a big culture of Helicobacter pylori, for yeah. instance, you know. So I think you know without that we might never know. Would you be willing to knock back some H. pylori in the name of science? Um, definitely. Yeah, I would. Yeah, especially after a few. <laughs> uh, finally, polyglutamic acid. Okay, polyglutamic acid is incredibly underrated, in fact. Um, but it depends what type. So, in uh, in a project I've done uh, with a PhD student of mine and a, and a group I've worked in at the University of Wolverhampton, we have made self-assembling nanoparticles made out of polyglutamic acid extracted from the bacteria anthrax. It's absolutely invisible to the immune system. What we've done is we've addressed that with a special special protein that addresses that sphere to the lymphatic system. Inside we have put a virus called adenovirus and that destroys or can destroy cancer cells. So what we've done is we've created an invisible, an invisible payload of virus that can be addressed directly to Hodgkin's lymphoma. Right? So the stuff, that technology that that affords, that particular polymer produced by, by, by Bacillus bacteria, by Bacillus lichenniformes, is absolutely magic. Um, yeah, that's very underrated indeed. On that moment of magic, Martin, thank you very much for thank your time. Thank you so much. Thank Cheers. you, Martin. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And don't forget, this can be used for your CPD. See you next month for another Biopod. This is James and Rob signing off. Bye.